0: or two oh, or wait. three years ago it seems like oh
1: yes i mean that's where so. i know
2: all of you from i yep. think Yep, yep. Yeah. time time flies but yeah i know we have been mm-hmm. yeah. but they they do start to blend together a little bit yeah
3: i know it's a weird world all these um overlapping ways to communicate and these semi these public and semi-public kind of conversations that keep happening i really love this this paradigm and the the ability to engage with people in the live chat and the people who I've I've started when I do pre-recorded videos, I mostly post them as premieres because it allows for that live chat feature. And there's like there's a group of uh, a big group of people that pop in and out of those chats, and you kind of start to get familiar with people. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. But I'm glad you're all here today. We're uh, solid ground live stream. I think it's number fifty six. And this is part two of our Your Brain on Porn discussion. Today we have Dr. Brett Alderman and Dr. Aaron Kinsfodder joining us. And so we're going to kind of get into that some more and talk about the book. And um, I guess we, one little announcement Jennifer and I are hosting a group, it's a support group for parents of trans identified youth. Mm. We still have a couple of spots. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can email us at solidgroundpeers at gmail. Or you can you can always message me through the contact form on my website, which is listed under all of the videos. So um, we are excited for that. That's starting in March. So, um, Deborah, would you like to
4: start us off with a solid ground description? Dibbler. I actually have it today. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Okay. So we have solid ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, aka woke and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 a month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note that Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy, medical, or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such.
3: Great. Thank you very much. So our our first conversation on this topic was two weeks ago. And we had Brett with us for that. And I it was a fascinating conversation. It kind of veered all over the place. And when I listened back to it, I was like, I think, I think largely that was my fault. I kept taking us on tangents. But it, it really is a, a topic that leads to a lot of exploration. There's a lot of room for discussion. Um I had a couple of viewer comments that were interesting That from that conversation that I thought maybe we could start out with if you're interested in in looking at those. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, had a chance to see any specific comments. Some. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have one in mind that you want to start with, Aaron, or do you want me to get us going?
2: Do uh, you mean Brett?
3: Oh, oh, was it Brett that said that? Sorry. Yeah,
2: Brett said yeah. that.
3: Okay. Um, Sorry. <laughs>
2: no, no, I don't have one in particular okay. in
0: mind. I just, but I did read them.
3: Okay. So someone said uh my excellent conversation. My parents were having a conversation the other day and we're discussing why they think young people overthink problems so much. It's strange that things that have have for a long time been axiomatic are now having to be relearned. Mm. I don't know if this is a case mm. of Pinkerton's fence, perhaps. I think they meant Chesterton's, uh, but either way, great discussion. And I just thought that was—it's not on the topic of porn per se, but I—I I thought that was pretty interesting, mm. and that there was something to it,
0: mm.
3: because we've—we've mm. we've definitely mm. had some renegotiation of culture mm. that's happening in recent mm. years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um someone else uh mh9597 says porn is a weapon and a very powerful one and as long as porn is out there it will have a negative effect on society and the civilization as a whole
0: Mm.
3: Mm. and i thought that was an interesting and strong take um if there are any other comments you guys want to read we could somebody else thought that people who eat deep fried twinkies are terrible jennifer
1: (laughs) oh yeah because i said (laughs) It's it's true that there's bad foods such as deep fried Twinkies, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person for eating a deep fried Twinkie. The comment is like, yes, if you eat that, you are a bad person. (laughs) I thought this comment was interesting. Um, I'm so grateful you covered this topic today. Interestingly enough, last week on the Dark Horse podcast, Heather Haying shared a news story from Boston about the opening of a spa. For the ABDL community, which apparently stands for the adult baby diaper lover. A little later, I made a Facebook post about it. You wouldn't believe the pushback I received from some friends, insisting it was fear-mongering, and I was shaming a minority group of quite possibly sexually assaulted people with kinks that helped them therapeutically in some way. There is no acceptable moral boundary anymore. I think this type of behavior being normalized signals the total breakdown of society. Some things deserve shame.
2: Mm. I, That's a, I I, have, I want I I was watching a video with Camille Paglia Paglia Pog, mm-hmm. Paglia yeah yeah um she mentioned something about the breakdown of societies and she, and she was talking about how that shows up in art and that particular comment uh really stood out to me uh, because I started to think about why societies. Work so hard to govern their norms and mores, and I wonder that I wonder if people would sort have of instinctively know that as as you sort of take things further and further, it, it it's almost like there's this instinctive thought that well maybe this is maybe this is 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 putting the health of the society in danger. I, I, and I don't I don't have any particular answers or even knowledge about that area but it, it is something that i've been paying close attention to and trying to figure out what i think about those things as a as someone who you know it, it has more of a libertarian bent and certainly a classical liberal bent i am I'm, I'm very much inclined to um be in favor of people doing their own their own thing uh but I guess I'm at the at the at the beginning stages of wondering what I think the limits of that should be, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, what is what is the virtue of I you know I don't know decorum or uh yeah. you know some kind of uh, boundaries within society, but as to what those should be or how those should be enforced i have no answers i'm just a questioner
0: when i when i think about it i you know i think well should it be allowed and legal in that sense yeah you know and so on a like a political level okay someone wants to open a diaper spa <laughs> i don't think we should stop them but on the other hand or not even the other hand it's like are are we really saying that a person can't just instinctually know something's just amiss here. Mm -hmm. This is not healthy functioning sexuality. This is somebody who's in the grips of some sort of regressive neurosis or something. It's, it's not all just, yay, this is great. You, you go do you. Um, but we need to be able to at least talk about it. And I think, um, you know, for some people, it's like no, you can't. The only thing you can do is just say, you know, great. Um, yeah, it, it forecloses discussion. A, a mm-hmm. lot of the responses to to this, I don't know. Yeah.
2: Well, there is there, Brett. There is a pressure to affirm. Yeah. Almost everything and anything. Yeah. And uh, that that I am that I've been uncomfortable with in the past, for sure. And it's not always easy for me to pin down what makes me uncomfortable. You know, but yeah. it doesn't, it neither somehow like absolutely anything goes. It doesn't quite sit well with me, but it's, you know, the, my, I, my circuitry is just not set up for, for, <laughs> for saying, I don't think that's a good idea. You shouldn't do that.
0: I think the pressure to affirm forecloses exploration, and that statement, I think, has a broad application, but it definitely applies to gender and exploratory therapy and everything that's happening in that realm. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you're pressured to affirm, you can't can't even say what's going on here, what does this mean, why is this happening, which are questions that you need to be able to ask. No, I think you're both
3: really articulating well a, a series of questions that I've been, that I've had in my head as well. And I had this exchange on Twitter last week with someone who was a polyamory advocate or poly, uh, advocating for legalization or legal protection for people, for polyamorous. I don't know. They're not couples. They're whatever they are. Polycule. They, um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, groups of people who <laughs> and they want some recognition that's akin to marriage recognition in the law, some rights that are akin to marriage and, and the 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 person was accusing me of being a hypocrite and saying that I'm not thank you very much a classical liberal that I can, cannot call myself a classical liberal if I don't mm-hmm. support this. And that's where I start start to start to wonder where's the line between libertinism and Mm. liberalism liberalism is can can someone who is a liberal still draw moral boundaries Mm -hmm. and i don't see why not and the free for all and the everything goes is more libertine and Mm. and i i think that's an interesting it's an interesting place to be where you wouldn't necessarily want something to be illegal like you said brett but what about immoral and how does a society how do we do that? How do, we, it feels like this legal is, uh, legal framework is a over-engineering of things that used to come from a moral mm-hmm. structure.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, or even, it, go ahead. I was just gonna say that uh, in uh, it would be interesting if uh, I'm starting to hear something about the polyamory movement too. And, you know, I'll be watching outcome data very carefully uh, to, to see what happens in these, in these you know, romantic groups. But it, it would be interesting if alongside of advocacy for this movement, uh, that advocates would, um, oh, I'd be interested in hearing their thoughts on if it's okay or how someone might say, uh, in their view, no thank you. Like, yes, you do what you do, and it's not for everybody like I I, I would like I I I think that um uh groups are advocating for these ideas they they would gain a lot of ground uh if if they would talk a little bit about how you know it's okay if it's not for everybody and 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 we stand up for everybody's right to choose this or not
3: well some people would point to the slippery slope on that one go ahead Deborah
4: it's just sort of calling for discernment. And that's what I think of a lot of these things that doesn't want quite that level of investigation, right? It is a political thing or it's an ideology or it's a black and white type of thing. I think asking for that or asking like like, like what you Aaron said, like, well, can we see if this is actually healthy? Like you sound Mm -hmm. like if you give me some empirical evidence that this seems not even moral, but if this seems to be Mm -hmm. good outcomes, (laughs) right? versus not good outcomes? Because uh, I've been going through this too. I'm trying to assess being liberal and is am I liberal in the realm of thought and I'm okay mm-hmm. with people thinking and saying, but am I a little different in behavior? Is like that the domain where, I don't know if, again, I want it legal, but like, is that where I'm a little less free for all? And then how would that be regulated? And is it a moral thing? Or I don't know, that's a tricky, is mm-hmm. it an argument based on, let, do we all collectively notice that these people are all not doing well. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know where this is assessed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Well, the yeah.
3: Gottman's, you know, if you're familiar with John and Julie Gottman's work on relationships mm-hmm. and love, I I did a Gottman training when I was in graduate school for a certification in, in their style of marriage and family therapy. And uh, one of the Q and a questions that John Gottman was asked was about polyamory and have they studied polyamorous groups or, or people. And he said that they keep trying, but the relationships don't last long enough for them to get any real data on them because they they're so transient.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's yep. That's correct. You know, one of the dangers I see in that to where I really don't think it's kind of a, Oh, live and let live Mm -hmm. thing where you can say, Oh, well, some people enjoy um, being in these type of unions and others don't, and it's nobody's business. I think if, <laughs> of course, I'm looking at this through a female's eyes, and we do tend to be less um, less sociosexual, meaning just enjoying casual sex with multiple partners. I think if, if you're trying to negotiate a monogamous committed relationship, with a partner and next door, you've got Bob with four wives. Your partner now is going to think I'm being awfully nice to you. If I'm only selecting you
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and it is going to make one-on-one monogamous relationships, I think increasingly rare and increasingly difficult to get into and maintain. I actually see it as an enormous threat to mm. relationships and an enormous threat to the family, which is the foundation of society mm. as far as I'm concerned. So I
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's a disaster personally. Mm. I think it is an absolute disaster. Um, and all of these relationships that I've seen, um, the amount of drama in them is such that... I think it's really unsustainable, which is why the Gottmans haven't been able to find people to study. Because the people that are in open relationships, not even where they're all blending the partners together, but even open relationships, they have to have a ton of rules Mm -hmm. in order to preserve people's feelings. Like you call Mm -hmm. me before you sleep with a new partner the first time. You don't do certain acts with this partner. In the heat of the moment, somebody always breaks the rule. Then there's this terrible sense of betrayal. The couples that I know that have been in these unions spend vast amounts of time, I mean several hours a week, going back and forth trying to heal these ruptures that they keep causing in their relationships. And so what they're living in is like a never-ending in-home psychotherapy session. Mm -hmm. Who the heck wants that? Also hmm. people can can have fun with their genitalia. It is, I think it's just a, I just think it's a bad idea. And if you have kids and you're going out, with other people and you're constantly meeting new partners. You remember what that's like. It's exciting. You're getting dressed up. You've got that sexual air about you. I just think you're creating a highly sexually charged atmosphere for the kids. They are going to pick up on it subconsciously or otherwise.
3: And so I, it's like, it's keeping the relationship in an immature state
1: that's right mm. it always stays in that immature state and then you are always in a sort of teenage adolescent early 20s state because you're excited about all these different people you're pursuing and the whole thing about marriages it's supposed to settle down you're not supposed to feel weak at the knees every time your partner walks in the room because you're supposed to be able to take that space and use it to develop as a person
0: yeah Wow. Well said. And I've seen the same dynamic in terms of need for processing and rules and all the complications that arise. But um, what you're saying brings me to a point from the book, which we actually haven't been talking about. Um, (laughs) The idea just that overstimulation leads to decrease in pair bonding. And when I heard that, because I'm listening to the book, I thought polyamory, because it's sort Mm. of this... Tenuous kind of sort of bonding, or it's a different bonding that's and...
4: like the limerence, right? That limerence state. Uh,
0: I don't know what that is. Limerence. Oh,
4: that's that. That's that. It's this thing that sort of ugh, just quickly passing attraction, little in love with, kind of feeling, yeah. with no depth. Yeah.
0: Yep. So I wonder fact, how we... much how much of the the rise in polyamory has to do with things like. Horned, just just a question you know Mm.
3: yeah
4: that's Mm -hmm. fascinating It Mm -hmm. it seems like there's so much about this me 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 i want i need my desire my my enjoyment my pleasure my like as the central organizing principle for a lot of people. And if you haven't, if you aren't finding out what it is, if you don't know what your preferences are, you don't know, I haven't explored whatever, mm. it, like that's the project it seems in a lot of cases. Mm. Well, you know, something's pretty
1: narcissistic.
0: Yeah.
4: And Jennifer, you brought up the
3: difference, uh, one of the differences between male and female sexuality. And I think that this is a place <laughs> where it becomes really difficult to talk about things like pornography because uh, there's this, this, there's this attitude when, in in discussions I see around porn of sort of in a um, male entitlement to sexual stimulation or sexual access. Like if I can't get a girlfriend, what am I supposed to do? That's mm. what I'm supposed to, you know, that's what that's there for. I don't, it, nobody wants to engage with me in the real world. So what am I supposed to do with all this energy? It, that's what, you know, that's like a necessary thing. And, and I, I wonder how that's playing out in all of these young men and and men of all ages who are coming into these forums and working on um, abstinence from pornography and masturbation. And I just, that narrative seems like it's a relatively recent one, but there's a very strong sense of entitlement there.
2: Hmm. You know, and it's so, so much of uh, what I'm, read on the book and I'm reading in the ed- on on the website uh uh I just I found myself nodding over and over again and and one of the one of the things that that um they they get into or the author gets into is you know that that it starts there with I'm I'm not successful you know in you know, meeting, we'll assume it's a man meeting meeting girls and a uh, heterosexual man. I'm not successful in meeting girls. and uh, so i I turned to pornography. but it it really uh, I, and i' I've seen this so many times, uh, I, I'm seeing so many things around this in my practice. This comes up all the time. so i was I was fascinated to be, a part of this conversation i've been fascinated to read this book one of the things that um that is happening uh that i'm seeing and that the, that the book is talking about is that one there 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 are you know an innumerable uh number of choices uh uh, uh brett was talking about last week it's sort of like once upon a time you know you had to figure out how to like or you had to work up the nerve to like go play it, go buy a Playboy or or sneak mm. one out of, the, out of the store or whatever. Uh, but nowadays it's all just right there, and there's infinite variety. And one of the things that I see uh, men struggling with is um, there there seem to be two things going on. One is that they are constantly chasing. Uh, a level of arousal that yes. is that is that is sort of like um, that that matches the level level of arousal that they experienced when they first encountered pornography. But when they keep coming back to it, it it becomes sort of less and less fascinating. And so they keep it they keep chasing it to the point where they are getting into, extremes that they're no longer that they're no longer comfortable with they still want the level of arousal but they need like more and more extreme kinds of things and it's it's almost like they are they're after the novelty or something that's what they find because i i keep talking to men who are disgusted by what it is that they are attracted to they don't like it they're not proud of it but still, they find it arousing. And uh, and so there seems to be something about... The, the other thing that I'm seeing is that there are men who are, are aroused not by what they're looking at uh, in terms of porn, but of the possibility that they might find the next best thing. And so they, they spend hours and hours and hours uh, just searching and, and they're looking for it's, you know, it's almost like with the slot machine, there's an, there's an intermittent reinforcement process at play because they almost never find that perfect thing. But then, you know, for every, I don't know, for every 1500 clicks, they find something that they really like that satisfies them for three or four days uh but uh, you know i talked to some men who are not even masturbating uh because they're so they're so captured by the search by by just the yeah. click
3: yeah cast 99 says chasing the dragon and matt von wald says of course it's about the novelty yeah so uh, I'm picturing the, like the Bugs Bunny cartoons with the donkey that has the carrot, like actually taped to it and it's out yeah. there and you'll never get closer to it, but you keep on heading towards it.
2: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure.
4: Yeah, That's what's interesting. Cause it seems it's the dopamine and it's the seeking mechanism and it's not so much, Oh, this is arousing per se. It's like, or this, this actual thing is really appealing to me sexually. And so it's, I think it's going to be such a relief to these young men or whatever men who they start learning about the brain chemistry and start realizing that there's like a mechanism that isn't about like who they are as a person or their sexuality is bad or anything like that. And that we're wired a certain way that if you put certain types of things, it's just like sugar, you know, it's like you just start eating it like you crave it. You can't even quite help it. Um, And it isn't necessarily about you as some terrible person or something like that
2: it's really interesting that you that you say that deborah because many of the people that i talk to really do feel ashamed of themselves like you know that they they um oh i I can't quite think of the right term for it but they they take their interest in porn and their use of porn as a reflection of themselves as a as a person and I I think part of that has to do with the fact that they find themselves looking at increasingly you know sort of bizarre things and think that that I don't know they maybe start to think of themselves as perverts or or something like that they begin to it, it internalize that Uh, But I I think that is a very healthy and therapeutic reframe that like what's going on here is not that you have some sort of, you know, deep seated interest in, you know, some bizarre or terrible thing happening between two people. It's that you're, you're, you're chasing almost that surprise or that level of arousal that comes uh, when, when you see something that's sort of has some novelty to it and Mm -hmm. and you have to keep kind of keep chasing that novelty though
4: they've been hacked basically like you've been hacked yeah yeah Uh,
1: it's about the addictive process much more than it's about a person's character i think and
3: mm
1: -hmm. um yeah i mean the one thing that is just so consistent throughout the book is how people just keep seeking more and more intense and unusual images because the images they started with no longer have the desired right. effect. And it's absolutely the same with a substance that somebody is developing an addiction to.
0: Yeah. There's yep. a, there's a Norman Deutsch quote, it's fairly short. And I think it speaks to the points that all of you are making and, and what is going to happen as a result of this seeking for ever more extreme Stimuli says, we're in the midst of a revolution in sexual and romantic tastes, unlike any in history, a social experiment being performed on children and teenagers. This level of porn exposure is quite new. Will these influences and tastes be superficial or will the new porn scenarios deeply embed themselves because the teen years are still in a formative period? mm-hmm
4: oh, that's a good no. question.
1: That's yeah. right. the brain is the brain is still developing during that time period. So that is a very good question and kind of has scary implications, I think.
0: Yeah, because neurons that wire together fire together and if yeah. you you know even after you quit is if you're forming these scenarios in your mind when you're fourteen maybe at 24 they're not going away as easily as they would or maybe Mm -hmm. they don't
3: and i've heard that schools are actually teaching kids about porn and normalizing its use and saying that it's not it's there's nothing wrong with pornography and this is really disturbing how how would you talk to young people about porn if you were talking to pre-porn exposed people and, and when's the sweet spot, this is, and I'm Mm. asking this for myself as well, because I, I also have been giving this a lot of thought in my own family. I've got sons that are 10 and 12. And right now I still have an awful lot of control over what they see on screens, which is very little. And, uh, but that's that's gonna change in years to come. And it's hard to determine as a parent where is that sweet spot? Where do you introduce this idea to someone who hasn't had this idea introduced?
2: Well, can can I and can I just ask the question in another way? Leslie, that's that's exactly the question I wanna ask. The one that I keep getting asked about here, because it I keep I, I'm also seeing a lot of parents. Who are concerned about what's going on in school. And uh that that they feel that children are being sexualized way too early and yeah, being are. exposed to concepts like gender identity way too early. So mm-hmm. I, I talked to a mom who, you know, she she really did, she didn't know how much of a problem it was or if it was a problem, but her nine-year-old daughter you know, came home and said, my pronouns are now they and they, them, and it, you know, they, they had had a a thing going on at school for a whole week uh, about sexuality and gender identity. And so part of me wants to just, you know, explode and say, what the hell is going on in schools? Another part of me um, is wanting to find a coherent reason why I'm having that reaction. And uh, you know and I, I think I need to do some more reading about this but it's it, I, I'm trying to find an answer to this that is that is simple and accessible to most people and where where I want to go is that children are being exposed to sex and sexuality long before they understand what to make of that and the the only um, so so that's the question I'm asking myself, and to which I, the only answer I can give is one that would take me an hour to explain. And it, you know, it would, it would, I would dig into my, my time from being a professor and, and talk about cognitive development to, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of explain that. Uh, but the, but the other thing I re- uh, I asked myself is, why is it so hard? Like, why, why? why are people making such a big deal out of this and i guess i'm i'm thinking about my own experience uh with this and uh you know i i we had sex ed class in 7th grade that's when i was 12 years old and it didn't seem to be a big deal i didn't i i didn't feel like there were things that i needed to know prior to that and so i i I guess what i would like to hear from people who are you know writing books like *Gender Queer*, which i understand is quite explicit and you know is being being given to to sort of elementary age children why do you think this is important what what are you basing this on and i need to know i need more than uh the 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 only answer that I'm getting is that if we don't affirm children's transgenderism, then they're then they're going to die. Uh, I think I, I think that has been that that claim has been sufficiently explored now that we, we can't just stop with that. That's that that does not seem to be the case. So I want to know why is it why is this finding its way into the curriculum? based based on what set of evidence or developmental theory uh, are are you using when you decide to include something like this in, say, an elementary school curriculum? Why do you think that's important? What do you hope to accomplish? And I'm willing to entertain the idea that the people who are doing this understand something that I don't but i've not yet heard a coherent explanation as to why they think this is a good idea you know or why why they need a you know i guess a class in porn literacy when you're 10 years old <laughs> like that that seems it seems to me like it'd be it'd be much much better to to be talking to parents about how do you you know make sure that your kids aren't getting access to this
3: there was a, a an article that came out i think this was in 2023 last year in december so pretty recently um in the critic magazine it's a uk magazine and there was uh there were some it was about Pornhub and about and i, I I'll, I'll link the article below so people can look at the whole thing and not just take my paraphrase for it but they quote a guy from Pornhub talking about injecting more trans and, mm. uh, and, uh, I guess alternative content like that, like trans content into the pornography. And he says, that he's arguing that 12-year-olds who have not yet figured out their sexuality might find this helpful to see these yeah, things represented. And so the idea of somebody actually creating porn for 12-year-olds yeah, that's is really shocking to me. But also, that's I think that might be part of the answer to your question there, is that there are people who take an activist stance and right. want to influence people when they're still very young.
2: So it's so they so essentially, I mean that's a version of what's what's often used, which is like the safety argument like, and I think a lot of parents get taken in by this like they're told that if you don't acquiesce to this ideology, if you question it, it's the same thing as harming vulnerable children and and that that's not enough for me. I need to know you know that that's I'd I, I need to sit down and think about that, but i I need to know why that's appropriate. but that, that but that uh, keeping keeping vulnerable people safe is such an intense uh moral uh, um, oh, what's Jonathan's Heights word um, a, a, an intense moral Value. drive that mm. I think that people are willing to uh accept things that they would never ordinarily accept if it's couched within the idea that this is actually, Preventing harm by doing this. Seems that, like it was.
4: Sorry, you know, go ahead. No, I was oh, just uh, going
2: to say that seems to be at the at the at the base of of the arguments about why this is why why children are getting classes on like porn literacy, which is a real. I'm not making that up. That it, that's in there somewhere in the, in in the curriculum. So
4: seems like it was also something got snuck in on this is where I can go, where was there something legitimate? Imagine back when we were growing up and there were kids who were gay and it was just not allowed and your parents might beat you up because you were. And like, I feel like there's this, anyone who is maybe gay and a couple decades ago, feel like they want to protect these kids who might be gay Mm. um, early on, like really early on and like, let them know it's like really okay. Your identities, your desire is really okay. So when I try to think of like some not to bully nefarious, Reason people might have it seems like that's a piece of it, but they seem to miss developmental conceptions, and it's just like let's get it early, especially if their parents are like Christian and against it or something like that. So that seems like one rationale.
2: They, the, I think that's yeah. right. I I understand that.
3: I just yeah. want to read one chat here. It's Matt von Wald, and he says at some point you you let kid your you let your kids go, and you realize that they're not yours. They exist and are developing in their own milieu, not your own. I agree with that, and I think that the key is at some point, and I think that there is a gradual, that's a gradual process. I don't know if Matt is a parent, maybe he's a father, but, uh, you know, there's a gradual process of letting your kids go, or you start out very, very much attached, and you move towards something that allows them their own space, and yes, they're a product of their time and their environment, and they have to be able to know that, but at this current juncture there's there are a lot of people who are actively trying to influence kids in really specific ways and so it i think that uh, you know that presents some real confusion for parents and a lot of this is a dilemma for parents
2: can I uh,
3: a... A,
0: a, a lot of the people that are doing the influencing probably know full well that you can use the harm argument to get what you want. I mean, let's be real. There are truly disturbed people in the world, maybe cluster B personality disorder people who who know that the harm argument is really powerful and it can open doors. And, you know, you can get into a really dubious relationship with a young person by arguing this. You know, it's like and some people get aroused by talking with young people about their their own sexuality and gender thoughts and you know I I just want to put that out there because like not all people have benevolent motives at all you know
1: amen to that and it's always sold as oh this is about teaching kids compassion etc um but I I I do think that, and I'm not saying there aren't some people who have that sort of kinder motivation, but I think there's a lot of really bad actors and there's a great story about it in the city journal called the real story behind drag queen story hour by Christopher Rufo mm. and i think what it's saying also applies to not just to having drag queens come in and read to children but to teaching all of the gender ideology and sexuality and porn in the classroom and if i could read like a little excerpt from it because i think it um i think it illustrates this the drag queen might appear as a comic figure but he's Carries an utterly serious message. The deconstruction of sex, the reconstruction of child sexuality, and the subversion of middle class family life. Yeah. The ideology that drives this movement was born in the sex dungeons of San Francisco and incubated in the academy. It is now being transmitted with official state support in a number of public schools and libraries across the United States. That's what I think
4: yeah. is
1: really going on. People really want to subvert what they see as your sort of usual heteronormative sexuality. And there's even that expression, queering the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And if you go on these people's Twitter and you look at what it is that is motivating, motivating them, they will actually spell it out for you that they want to queer things, that they want to break down normal boundaries and that they want to queer society and stop everything from being so cis hat and so sort of, you know a man and a woman getting married and children break down all those traditional things that we have in our society.
2: I was just I was it's you you read my mind, Jen. I, I was about to say, hey, remember when you guys did that thing where you you were the tin hats? <laughs> and i was about to say you know i i kind of want to put on my tin hat and say i i wonder if if part of the sexualization of children i i wonder if what is beneath that is you know some instinct that that leads people to want to dismantle society that if that that's you know that's one of the that's maybe one of the last great frontiers of of taboo that if if we can you know if if we can you know ex- expose children sexualized children um then you know that's one of the last sort of pillars that's that's holding up society and so that's a that's a process in this in this dismantling that that people seem to be interested in I
0: mean I, yeah, I was but, oh, go ahead, Brett. Jennifer, I think you're I think you're spot on. And I love the Rufo quote. And I love that he used the word deconstruction. Um, this is, as some of you may know, like a this is what I do a lot of thinking about. And my most recent book is on deconstruction, and it has a good 40-page chapter on Judith Butler, who's mm. the queen of queer theorists. And you know, queer theory really is all about breaking down all norms uh you know and to queer something means in effect to br- make something that makes sense into something that seems nonsensical so it's that that's yeah. one of the ways that they kind of undermine any sort of norm now when i was you know when in 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 my book when i'm writing about this i kind of place that type of thinking in neverland like Mm -hmm. in the land of Peter Pan where pretend pretend things are real and there's this also there's no real boundary between child and adult because it's all pretend and that boundary between child and adult is just being eroded everywhere you know Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not just in the curriculum it's in you know people walking semi-nude to like the Emmys or the Oscars and it's like Whoa! There's a breakdown of private and public space, which is mm-hmm. also part of the breakdown of the the adult child boundary. It's
3: mm-hmm.
0: I'm sort of rambling and going no. off in many different mm-hmm. directions, but this mm-hmm. ties right back into what Jennifer was saying about
3: polyamory and the the kind of this perpetual immaturity, keeping people in this immature state. And so if Mm -hmm. you can convince kids and I know, you you know, for both girls and boys, uh, the the adolescent years, the sex drive is a really powerful thing that comes on. And from from all the that I, you know, speaking as a woman, I can't speak for men, but I know from men that I've talked with that it's it's so overwhelming sometimes Mm. that it's a real it's a force to reckon with and that a lot of growing a coming of age involves mastering those forces within yourself that there's a hormonal ebb and flow to it but there's also a a a responsibility of a person to master their drives Mm -hmm. but if you can get to a young kid and say don't master those drives don't Mm -hmm. ever master those drives that drive is you that is who you are own that make that you make that your personality make it your hobby and your life and your identity then can you not keep people at a fundamentally immature state and then are people a lot easier to rule and i just read this this aldous huxley quote yesterday and it says as political and economic freedom diminishes, sexual freedom tends to com- com- pen- uh, compensatingly increase. And the dictator will do well to encourage that freedom in conjunction with the freedom to daydream under the influence of dope movies and radio. It will mm-hmm. help to reconcile his subjects to the servitude, which is their fate. And I, I you know, here I might as well put my tinfoil hat on, but um, I, this is really interesting. And, it's, and I had not really thought of, porn as a weapon in this way. And I started thinking about this when it got the strange response from the your brain on porn people. Mm. when I reached out to them, which I guess you guys saw. So I guess this is taking that all the way into that realm. But it does feel like whether it's orchestrated or whether it's organic, that is the effect that it's having is it's it's deconstructing society.
4: And what I want to add to that, because when I was first also seeing that they were trying to get children to be activists on other levels by inciting their anger and sadness, like there'd be curricula to say, aren't you upset that this is happening? Aren't you going to cry? Aren't you angry? I, I saw they're, they're trying to harness primal urges, whether it's the mm-hmm. sexual or the emotional. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, and if they aren't being taught to master that, if it's like, no, it's good to just be emoting all over the place. Um, and get people just so riled up and then go take actions that they're being directed to do without doing any prefrontal cortex development or something Mm. like that. Like this is really, really disturbing and that you would do it to children who don't have the filters um, and you're not encouraging them. Um, This is a huge problem. And again, like, if you also have someone by their desire, right? Like you, you like, you give them, please follow it, follow it. Right. Like, Ah, uh, the whole thing seems really nefarious, whether it was int- intended or not. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that was that's the more- word that I was thinking. and if you if you teach someone that that it's even it's wrong to not fulfill the desire mm-hmm. and that there's no benefit whatsoever in learning how to control desire, you've got an inc- incredibly manipulatable populace. And that's increasingly what's happening. We're just we're we're fed these messages that, to control desire is bad it's repressive it's oppressive as opposed yep. to the message that look at in certain situations it's really good to be able to do that you know it's 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 a good option to be able to i i need to have it in my psychological tool bag to say no to certain desires at certain times and other times other situations i can say oh hell yeah i'm i'm, I'm having this this pleasure i'm getting what i want you know i'm doing what what i what i want to do
1: i think we're going to see a rise in personality disorders
0: i think we already have
1: <laughs> yeah i think i i agree that we have and i think it's going to continue exponentially
0: yeah. You know, it's like every major religion has some way of thinking about desire that wants to keep it in check, like yeah. controlling it, diminishing it. In Buddhism, it's one thing. In Taoism, it's another thing. It's there in Hinduism. It's there in Christianity. And you can't just let go of those traditions and then say, wow, you know, let's this is going to be great. It's like, no, those traditions have that element that was beneficial. You know, whether you're a believer or an atheist or whatever, it's like.
4: No, that element is there
1: for a reason. Absolutely. We even
4: think of nuclear energy, because I think of sexual energy a lot like that. You have something that's extremely potent, but you don't leave a nuclear reactor just completely Mm. open in space. You have walls around it. You've got the lead, whatever the heck is going on in there. And then it can actually be used for something that's constructive. But if you just had it out there, it it would would be radioactive. Yeah.
2: Wouldn't it be interesting if, because as I'm listening to you all speak, I'm thinking, gosh, here are the, you know, I think I'm starting to hear the frame of some really interesting curriculum uh, for, you know, for for, for like a sex education class where like 12-year-olds that are talking about uh, concepts like internal versus external locus of control and how how that comes to bear on internal drives because i i feel like i i feel like what's going on in sex education right now is it's almost like everything you know i think for me and i have a lot of sympathy for this it i i do remember well within my lifetime where no one ever talked about people who were gay and then uh, in high school, it comes out that somebody's gay, and it was sort of a really big deal. And uh, I wouldn't go back to that time. But uh, like, I'm, I'm glad that it's okay to be gay, mostly, uh, uh, these days, or it's a lot more okay than it used to be. Um, but it, it, it seems like there's so much energy being thrown against, you know, uh, against the repression of you know sexual energy it's almost like things have gone way too far in the other direction and there's there it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like well let me let me refer to myself for me it would be very hard to explain to other people about the need to uh, moderate that energy or, or how I would put that into a curriculum. There doesn't seem to be a very easy, neat, quick answer to why that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's just a longer discussion than that. And you know, and I guess I keep wanting, as I keep encountering uh, people who are saying, um, "I'm really uncomfortable with what my kids are learning about sex in their like third grade class." I I keep wanting an answer to that, that, you know, would fit on a bumper sticker, Uh, I I guess because there are so many bumper sticker, there's so much bumper sticker wisdom that I'm confronted with when people are saying that's a good idea. Um,
3: This is a question that I have to Aaron, and I think the way that I've come to think about it is that we're in a post-religious culture. And it used to be that you would answer those kinds of questions with something that was directly from a religious authority or a spiritual yeah. authority. Right. And now we don't have that. And I think that secularism, which I mean, I've always been a secular person, it it doesn't have that moral framing. All we're left with is the legal framework. When we yeah. remove religion from the picture, we're left with just laws. and And then we're left with mm. the downfall or the, I guess, the... The logical conclusion of liberalism which is you you do you yeah. it's it's all about consent and so yeah. there's the question it kind of comes back to that initial philosophical inquiry about how do you establish boundaries mm. and moral frame frames if you yeah. are essentially kind of libertarian oriented
4: right i'm even thinking of things like smoking i remember when everybody used to smoke and then there was somehow people believed research that it wasn't good for you. And then somehow people stopped doing it. And there was even a bit of a stigma on doing it. And that wasn't, I don't know what laws went into place about but that was something that people somehow were able to curtail. I don't know if they also made the taxes so high, people didn't want to spend the money. So that was a legal thing, but that is something where we were doing something. There wasn't any sort of religious thing on stop smoking. Um, Like public.
3: signage and and yeah i guess there was yeah now
4: you can't yeah there's like okay now you can't do it in the plane and now there were laws yeah you can't do it in the restaurant anymore you got to be outside so yeah there was a legal place but they didn't outlaw it entirely (laughs) um and at some point it wasn't as cool anymore or something like that and it was a little bit like oh those people smoke like um so i don't know i don't know if there's like an equivalent i think people can relate to I'm thinking of sugar. It's like, yeah, sugar is pleasurable. You eat it, it's good, but you kind of know there's a certain point at which you're gonna get diabetes, or you're gonna be sick or you're gonna get fat or that doesn't stop a lot of people, but I don't think people have a problem with the argument of it's probably not good to just keep doing the thing that you like just cause you like it. Like that one makes sense to people. You know, sex may be harder, but it's, I don't know if there's an analogy to be made there
2: well it's it, it well i i I think the message right now is that um sex is positive under any and all circumstances, mm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, except for maybe uh, circumstances under which you know th- there's violence involved but but it's sort of like if you're talking with kids, if you're talking with third graders about sex, then that's a really I think a lot of people just say, oh, that's really healthy. We've really progressed in our understanding without ever stopping and saying wait a second why do we now think that's a good idea and i i think people are 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 acting on the moral impulse that that's going to somehow reduce harm to vulnerable uh children by by doing that mm-hmm. but uh, you know i can remember myself as a sexual being as a you know, as a very young child, but in a very, very different way than I was in adolescence. I remember getting a crush on uh, the the um, um, you know, like the the checkout girls at the at the grocery store, and just you know, being fascinated by them. But it didn't have any bearing on my life in any reasonable way. But it it, it did always. Deborah, what you were talking about, how we never used to talk about people who were gay when we were young, it does, it does remind me of how important it is, you know, if I had been gay, and maybe I was looking at men, in the in the same way that I looked at, you know, the young women, uh, when I was like, I don't know, four or five years old, uh, I might have said, Oh, gosh, I you know, I might not have known what to do with that. And I don't want that for a, a young kid who is beginning to experience the precursors to sexuality to somehow think that they're they're less than or weird because of that. Mm-hmm. But just that I just feel like that would have to be broached so carefully and so intentionally. and you'd have to have, a really, really good reason for doing that, and and to make and a really thought out way of of broaching that, and it certainly would not be anything having to do with, with pornography,
4: right? And do oh. these even need to be made into identities? Like I'm thinking, some kid that I used to babysit, and her telling me one day, she's like, "I have three crushes," and it was like, I don't know, two were girls and one was a boy. I don't even know, and I was like, "Oh, that's nice." Yeah. I, I you know, I was't yeah. I didn't have to be like, do we know if she's a this <laughs> or maybe she's by? And I'm gonna tell her that I think what she is, you know what I mean? It was, it was like That's she was maybe eight point. years old. So yeah. it was just like like nothing's happening, and no decision has to be made. and yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm like, oh, she likes her friends, you know, like. <laughs>
0: Deborah, what were you thinking? Why didn't you tell her that she's a part of the LGBTQ plus? (laughs) (laughs) Put some they them pronouns in her bio. Yeah, you know, I,
4: I frankly didn't know she was a little sophisticated. I frankly didn't know if she was looking to get a rise out of me.
1: I wasn't sure. There's They're a,
0: but I, I, you know, I, I feel I, I'm so in agreement with what Aaron's saying, and I remember growing up in the '80s and being really androgynous. I know I don't look like it now, but I was, I was, you know, like wearing a brooch to school and wearing a dress that looked like a trench. Or well, I wore a dress, but I wore it as a trench coat, and I was like, the gender bending '80s were so friggin' cool, and. Uh, and it felt like there was a lot of acceptance of same-sex attraction. I think there's a way that you can do things where it's, it says yes to that without completely opening Pandora's box to every sort of yeah. sexual yeah. proclivity without any discernment whatsoever, which I think is kind of, broadly speaking, what we're trying to push back against, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and I... I know we're we're about out of time there's a question that came up in the chat a little bit earlier it was William Joyner who says is porn instructional Mm. and that's something that I'd love to get into with you guys if you're interested because I think that's one of the uh that's one of the arguments for its inclusion in you know in young people's lives that they are learning from it and uh there's a lot to that conversation. I know we don't have time for it right now, but perhaps if you're up for it, we could make a part three and get into that and some more on this in a couple of weeks. But we can we can always chat about that off off screen or off
2: live. I, I'd like to end on a positive note if we could. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I just wanted, like one of the things that I really liked about the research that, that's out there is that... Um, for for a lot of for a lot of people who do find themselves in a place where they're you know addicted to to the to porn and and they're consuming it and they're wasting time and they're now having trouble uh in in their relationships with real people the reset works and i i I had kind of seen that that was the case but it was really Great to sort of come across some research that that affirmed that that you can, your brain is has enough plasticity so that those the the the, um, the pathways that you, that you've that you've uh, developed through the sensitization process can erode with some time, and you can reset and and find your way back to, um, you know, attraction to um uh, kind of good old fashioned fantasies and real life people so that was and it was very nice to come across that body of research
3: yeah that's excellent they talk a lot about rebooting and resetting rebooting. and it's really yeah. yeah they there are a lot of testimonials mm-hmm. that corroborate what you're saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt Von Wald sends a super chat $5. Thank you so much. That's really great. And uh, thank you all for being a part of this conversation. Thanks for being in the chat. And thank you very much, Brett and Aaron for joining us for this discussion.
0: Thank you. All right. Have a great day.
3: All right, stop recording.